about two weeks ago, I saw a friend of mine, and I hadn't seen him since before Christmas. And, you know, in the normal the way that we do this, I said, hey, man, how you doing? And he looks over at me, and he kind of smiles at first, and he says, man, we're doing good. And then in kind of a change in his countenance, his face changes, and it's like he's going to be a little bit vulnerable and honest with me. And he says, you know what, actually, I'm kind of tired right now. We're really busy and I'm weary. And it was one of those moments where I went, oh, we're doing this. You know, like we're going to have this moment here. And my guess is today in this room, there are some of us that can relate to that feeling. There's some of us in here that over the past three or four months have lost our jobs. And so we're weary. There's another group of us in here today that probably go to work every single morning and we just hope we have a job tomorrow. And so we're weary. And there's probably another group of us in here that have been in charge of hiring people over the past two or three years. And so we feel the weight of these people who are losing their jobs. And so we're tired and we're weary. Today, I want to dive into a passage of scripture, I think, that will help us. It's from the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 12. That's where we're going to spend most of our day. And I think what this passage of scripture will help us understand is how to keep going in the midst of trials. How to keep going when life has not been kind to us. But not only that, how do we grow as followers of Jesus in the midst of these trials? So the title of today's message is just three short words. Let us run. Now I know I already lost a few of you guys. Some of you guys are like, I'm not going to run. I'm not interested in this. But that's the title, and you'll see why here in a minute. Let us run. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so close, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, if you've read the Bible very much, or if you even know grammar or any of these kind of things, you, you understand that this first word that we see is, is really important. It's, it's really a transitional point. Therefore, therefore means we need to not go forward. We need to look back to what was just said. And so if you've been around uh, church for a while, you probably have heard about Hebrews 11 is, is a really famous section of scripture. It's a famous passage. It's known as the hall of faith. And we see these incredible men and women. There's a lineage of men and women who, who really testify to God's faithfulness. And so there's this list that I want to read to you, and you will recognize some of these names. It's Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. And church, these men and women weren't perfect, but they finished the race well. In fact, many of them have quite the checkered past, and God used them in spite of it. And they were faithful, and they testified to God's great faithfulness. 
So it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I love this metaphor here that he uses where he's talking about a cloud. It's almost like you imagine, you know, the Olympic Stadium. And there's the 400-meter relay that's about to happen. And there's 80,000 people that are there that are witnessing that. And these men and women in the Old Testament, we see that they're really witnesses to God's great faithfulness. And that word is interesting, that word witnesses. It's, it actually comes from the Greek word martis, right? It's, we're familiar with that, with that probably because the English word is martyr. And we know that a martyr is somebody who gives up their life for their faith. But as we look back in Hebrews, we'll notice that that word is actually also, it actually is linked to the word commended. These men and women in the Old Testament here are commended for their faith. And so we look back to them. We look back to how they ran the race. You know, my dad worked for the United States government for over 30 years. And I always liked it how he said, he said he served the United States government. I thought that was interesting. He did it willingly. And my dad had this fascinating job. It was a weird job, I think, at times. What he would do and what his department would do was anytime somebody was hired for a high security clearance job, my dad's department would go and do a background check on them. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of background check where you say, hey, give me your, you know, give me your, uh, your, your whole name and your social security number. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the kind of background check for people who build atomic bombs and drones and all those kind of things. It was extensive. It was in-depth. And so what dad's department would do is they'd get this long list, this laundry list of people who knew this person well, this potential employee well, and they would go interview them. I'm talking friends, neighbors, family, former employers. Man, you want to find out about the state of humanity, all you got to start doing is digging around a little bit. And these people that they would interview really stood, they they really were, were witnesses for the United States. No, they would say, no, 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 this person's kind of weird. I mean, they have weird hours, and I'm not sure about them. You know, you may want to look into this a little bit more. They really were ambassadors for the United States, and I think here we see that these men and women were witnesses of God's great faithfulness in Hebrews 11. I like how A.W. Tozer, in his great work, The Pursuit of God, puts it. He says, come near to the holy men and women of the past, and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. And when they found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. So in our modern day pursuit of God, we look back to these men and women. But I love how this next part of the text goes. It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And I have to ask the question there. I I really want to break this down into small parts. There's kind of two things that we notice here. There's something about weight and something about sin. And so I ask the question, what was the writer of Hebrews saying to this early Christian church? What what was he saying? What are these weights that he's talking about? What are the things that are weighing them down? Could they have even been, quote-unquote, good things? What were the things that were keeping them from running the race well? And so I just made a little list. Worry, family drama, job security, financial stress, raising children, 
marriage issues, giving up their faith and going back to where they were before. Doesn't sound so different from some of the things that weigh us down today, does it? And if you're like me, sometimes we just keep piling these things on. We try to broaden our shoulders. I got this. No problem. I can keep going. But before long, we end up looking just like this donkey. This donkey. Can anybody relate to that donkey? I got this. No, you don't. You know, I'm a runner, and I haven't always been a runner, but I started back in college, and for today, for illustration purposes, I want to, I want you guys to, to see what this would look like. So let's say that today I'm going to go out and I'm going to run 10 miles, just for fun. Just kidding. I'm going to go out and run 10 miles, and I'm going to shoot to have an eight-minute mile while I'm running. But you know what? I've done that before, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it a little bit harder. So I'm going to go ahead and, sorry about that. I'm going to go ahead and put on this little weight vest. But I can do that. Done it before, no problem. So I'll make it a little harder. I'm going to put on these weights on my arms. Just keep running. I got it. No problem. But that's not hard enough. I'm going to take my 25-pound little girl, Andy, and I'm going to put her in the jogging stroller, and I'm going to go. Now, do you guys think that I'm going to be as effective, as efficient with all these weights on me? Of course not. And so we try to do this with life. We try to keep going. We just think, I got this. Sorry about that. I think I can keep going, but we can't. And the Bible tells us to lay aside these things. Lay aside these weights that weigh us down. But that's not all it tells us to do. It says to get rid of the sin which clings so closely. Isn't this so true? Isn't sin like a staticky sock right after the dryer? And it clings so close to us. And for some of us in here, we're just starting to realize the sin in our life. We used to just go out and get drunk on Friday night, and then on Saturday morning, we'd wake up with just a hangover. But now, all of a sudden, you got a little voice in the back of your head. It's the Holy Spirit. He's saying, that ain't right. And you know it. There's others of us in here that we get in a fight with our spouse some of us, it was on the way to church this morning. <clears throat> and even though we know we're right beyond a shadow of a doubt, you got this little voice in the back of your head. It's the Holy Spirit. That ain't right. That sin just clings a little bit too close. And in fact, these words of, about weight and about sin clinging too closely, they actually, they actually mean to impede us from where we're really going. It's like, I want to go over here, and the race is this way, but this is impeding me, and I can't, I can't run the race well. You see, sin has always had one purpose, and it wants to take us away from God. It wants to take us away from our one true purpose. And so today, church, if you're taking notes, I want you 
to answer a few questions for me. First question, what are the weights in your life that are keeping you from running the race well? What is the sin that you've let cling just a little bit too closely and it's keeping you from running the race well? Here's the reality. If our marriage is a wreck, we're never going to be able to do anything great for God. If we're always a mess financially, we're never going to be able to do something great for God. Ladies, if we're struggling with an eating disorder, we're never going to be able to do anything great for God. Gentlemen, if we're a weekly slave to pornography, we're never going to be able to do anything great for Because he tells us to run the race. That's what we're called to do, to run. And if we were to go out in the parking lot today, we were to clear all the cars out of the way, and I were to say, hey, we're going to run a 40-yard dash. My guess is 99% of us would be able to finish that race. We may not all go fast. We may have to walk, but probably most of us could walk 40 yards. We could finish. Even if we were to up the game a little bit, if we were to say, hey, let's do a 100-meter dash, probably still most of us could finish that race. But we know that life is not a sprint. So if I were to say today, we're going to go out, we're going to run a marathon, 26.2 miles. There's a lot of you guys that are like, I'm out. (laughs) Not doing it. Anybody who's run a distance race before knows There's times where you're feeling great, and there's times where you're ready to give up, and we have to endure. We have to keep going. So how do we do this? How do we persevere when life has not been kind to us? The text tells us, verse 2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If you've ever wanted to know what God was like, look to Jesus. And I like how Colossians chapter 1 speaks of Jesus. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So we look to Jesus. What did he do? How did he handle life when things were not easy? And I see a few different things that he did, and I think it makes a lot of sense. First of all, he withdrew to spend time with God. In Matthew 14, 22, we see Jesus is just about to do a miracle. He's going to walk on the water, and he separates himself and goes and he prays. So when life is getting hard for you and you need to persevere, are you setting time aside for God? Are you carving out time for just you and him? But that's not the only thing he did. The second thing that I noticed that he did was he didn't do it alone. He surrounded himself with men and women who would encourage him. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Pastor Daniel, back in the fall, preached this incredible 
sermon series where he told us that the only safe place, uh, the, the only safe place to be alone is alone with God. We're not called to do this on our own. We've watched Animal Kingdom or one of those channels before, and we always see the kind of little wiry wildebeest who's off by himself. Like five minutes later, he's a lion's lunch meat, right? So we know that if we get isolated, we're in trouble. It reminds me of uh, our, our, Allie and I have led several discipleship groups over the 10 years that we've been here at Mid-Cities, and um, the most recent one that we started was about three years ago. And I remember it so vividly. We were sitting down that night, and, you know, it's the first night, so people don't know each other that well. And so uh, we're kind of going through the normal pleasantries, who you are, where you're, you're, where you're from, who you're working for. And so one of the girls comes in, and, and she says, we're from Abilene, and, you know, we just moved here for a job, and we don't really, we don't really like it here in Midland, Odessa. It's flat, and it's hot. There's no trees, no water. I could keep going, right? But... She kind of says that, and then before long, she starts crying. And all the guys are like, what do we do? (laughs) And then another girl introducing herself, and she's saying, hey, you know, we're from Colorado. We moved here for for work, and we don't really like it because it's flat and hot and no trees and no water, and we get the point. And she starts crying. Before long, like five out of the six girls that are there that night have been crying. But here's what's amazing about that group. Three years later, That group is some of the people that we call when we're weary, when we're tired. So do you have those people in your life? Who are the people in your life that you can call when you're tired and you're weary? But what I also see about Jesus is that he knew his true identity. In Matthew 4, we see that Satan is trying to tempt Jesus and Three different times, he says, if you are the son of God, he's trying to undermine his authority. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? He does that with us all the time. Man, if you really love God, you wouldn't be in this situation. Or the other way around. If God really loved you, you wouldn't be in this situation. But see, here's the truth of the matter, church. When he comes to you and he tries to say that no one loves you, you remind him that you are a co-heir with Christ. When he comes to you and he says, you have no purpose, you say, I was designed for good works. When he says you aren't good enough, you remind him you are royalty and you lead with integrity. So why do we look to Jesus? Because he is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. I love those words, founder and perfecter. He is the origin. He both starts it and completes the process. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. You see, crucifixion wasn't just meant to kill the person. It was meant to shame them, to strip them of their dignity. But Jesus did it with joy. And you know why I think he did it with joy? Because I think that he knew that the race was going to be over one day. And he knew that for every sinner who came to him, he could stand before the Father and say, I got them. He's mine. She's mine. I paid a steep price, but they are mine. And I love how Hebrews 4 speaks about Jesus 
starting in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. There's some of us in here today. We've never let Jesus be our example. We feel like our past is what defines us. And so we don't let him be the one who's in charge. But today, what I would say to you is I think Jesus would say, I've been there. I know how that feels to be tempted, except I didn't give in. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Looking to Jesus reminds us It reminds us that he has already taken those weights. He has already taken the sin that so easily entangles us. And he is the one who can bear the weight. He's already done it. You know, Allie and I occasionally will go out on a date, and usually this isn't planned, but we'll have a little moment where it's like, hey, how you doing? How are are we doing It's a moment for us to be honest with each other. It's a moment for us to make sure that we don't crash and burn 15, 20, 30 years in the process, but that we make it all the way to the end of the race. And so today, church, I think this is our moment for how we do it. So today, what we're going to do to finish up our service is we're going to have a moment of ministry. So I'm just going to ask you guys to go ahead and stand. I think today is a day for us to be honest before God. Today is a day for us to start casting aside some of these weights that have been dragging us down. Today is a day for us to get rid of some of this sin that's been clinging just a little bit too closely. So I'm going to ask our prayer workers and our group leaders to go ahead and just start making their way forward. Because today, church, I believe that we're called to run. Why do we cast these things off? So we can run. Why do we cast off fear? So we can run. Why do we cast off insecurity? So we can run. Why do we cast off pride so we can run? Why do we cast off sexual immorality so we can run? Why do we cast off unforgiveness and bitterness so we can So today, if that's you, God's speaking to your heart. During this song, I'm going to ask you to just go ahead and start making your way forward. You can even do that now. Go ahead and start making your way forward. These guys want to pray for you because I know what it feels like to be weary and to be tired. Father, we ask that today, as we come into this house, and God, we feel so weighed down by sin and by the things that have gotten in our life that are impeding us from going forward. God, we pray that today you would lift those things. God, would you help us in this process? God, we need you because we want to run the race well. We want to finish the race 
strong, and so would you help us today? So I pray for these people in this house today. We love you.